Hi, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Packers Unscripted Social Distancing Style from Packers.com. I am Mike Spofford, joined, as always, by the one and only Wes Hodkowitz. We're coming to you from our humble abodes, as we have for the last several weeks. And Wes, we're now a week, a full week, essentially, after the draft. And you and I have been getting to work here a little bit on the phones. We're trying to track down, you know, college coaches, other past connections to the Packers draft picks. We've got some stories that are coming up on Packers.com with regards to that. And the first one is today, it's already on the website, as a matter of fact, and it's Boston College running back A.J. Dillon. I happen to track down his running backs coach from Boston College, who's now at Colorado State. His name is Brian White, and for Wisconsin Badger fans, you would certainly recognize White. He is the running backs coach and former offensive coordinator for the Wisconsin Badgers during the Ron Dane era. And uh, he wasn't necessarily going to make any comparisons between Ron Dane and A.J. Dillon, but pretty interesting that, uh, that the Packers' second-round pick is, was coached by the same guy who coached a Heisman Trophy winner. Yeah, and, and this is a guy that, again, you're not making comparisons to, but when you look at the way he's built, the way he runs, his vertical, his 40, uh, there's so many things that Ron Dane did well that I think you see with A.J. Dillon. Now, Dillon going to look to go above and beyond that here at the next level, but it was really enlightening as I read the story, Mike, listening to White kind of recount some of his favorite tales, uh, what stood out to him during his career. And he did mention something that I've been talking about quite a bit over the last week. And that's, you look at this young man, 247 pounds, six foot tall. You might have an image in your mind of what that looks like. And then you see AJ Dillon and it blows it out of the freaking water. I mean, this guy, he even, I think used the word tree trunks, you know, when you look at his legs and the way that he's built in his lower half, an impressive physical specimen who at Boston college had a really incredible run and now obviously getting the chance to come to Green Bay, Wisconsin, and hopefully build upon that now as a second-round draft choice. Yeah, well, it was really interesting talking to White because I asked him, not knowing a whole lot about Dylan's background before he got to Boston College, he was the top-rated player in the state of Massachusetts, and Brian White was involved in recruiting him. And it was interesting just getting his perspective on how he got to know A.J. Dillon And I asked him just about his size, like, well, when he was coming out of high school, like what, you know, how big was he? He's like, well, he was actually about 242 or 245. Like he was really that size. And he told kind of a funny story that during the recruiting process, they were giving uh, the Dillon family a tour of Fenway Park in Boston, obviously a great sports landmark in, in that city. And at the time, Dillon's younger sister was about five years old. And she was getting kind of, you know, tired and cranky, you know, like kindergartners might do and whatnot. And um, so Dylan picked her up. She fell asleep in his arms and he carried her around Fenway Park for 45 minutes during uh, during the entire tour. So. um, So, yeah, I I guess you need to be a 240 pound muscularly strong high school kid to carry a kindergartner around a, a major league ballpark for nearly an hour. I just, I got a kick out of that story. Anyway, I encourage everybody to, uh, to, yeah. to check it out. It's, it's, it's fun to listen to the memories of some of these coaches who have been uh, involved with these players in their past. Yeah, it was funny. That was probably one of my favorite parts of the story too, because you just imagine what that's like for 90 minutes or whatever it is. <laughs> I don't care what kind of drills you're doing in the weight room to get yourself ready for that. That, uh, that taxes the muscles. And obviously it was a comfortable enough ride that the young lady was able to fall asleep, but 
Uh, yeah, the, the other thing too about Dylan uh, in terms of what I took away from the story, the way that he approaches the game, the way he works at it, and also how he goes about, you know, not just, not just putting on film what he's done, but where he wants to grow, I think is something that stands right. out. It's still a young guy, a guy that did leave Boston College a year early, now getting a chance to, you know, potentially – you know, really have a huge impact now with this Green Bay backfield. It is built for him to to make an impact sooner rather than later. Yeah. Well, as I said, over the next week or two, Wes and I are going to be posting some stories, uh, follow-up stories on these draft picks, catching up with some of their past connections. A.J. Dillon is on the site today, so be sure to check that out. Um, Wes, the other thing I thought we'd get to here before the week is out is to take a look at the Packers NFC North foes and what they did in the draft, because there was a lot of differences in terms of uh, the draft capital these teams had, their targets, what they went after, how they went about it. Um, I guess we'll just start with the Minnesota Vikings. 15 draft picks, Wes, the largest seven-round draft class in the, uh, the short history of the seven-round draft. And they actually could have had even more but they made some trades and got some extra picks for next year. I think they're actually heading into the 2021 draft with a dozen picks already. So, uh, but Minnesota, they lost a lot of guys for, they, they traded their number one wide receiver. They, they lost guys in free agency, other guys for salary cap reasons. This was a, a, a huge rebuild retool type of draft for the Minnesota Vikings. They have a big, big rookie class. They do. And I just want to tell this quick story. I know there's rivalries with Packer fans, Vikings fans, <laughs> NFC North. We are very friendly, though, uh, with, our, with our colleagues, uh, with other NFL team websites. Yeah. I, I had a good laugh with Kim Ippolito, who used to work with us over at the Packers. Now she's over at the Vikings. Uh, also, Lindsey Young, who's one of the reporters and writers uh, over at the Vikings. Uh, kind of, and, and Eric Smith as well just giving them a little bit of flack last Saturday night on enjoy that uh, last third day in all of those draft picks that they ended up with. Because as you and I well know, Mike, if the Packers would have had 15, we would have probably parceled them out a little bit or pushed them together. Yeah. Uh, so we didn't write 15 stories, but there's still 15 draft picks and that's 15 <laughs> human beings that you have to account for in your yeah. coverage. It's a lot uh, of information to process for sure. I, I remember 2013 when the Packers drafted whatever that was, 12 guys. That class was a nightmare. And I ended up – I am out of all the drafts I've covered, that is the least proud I've ever been of any coverage I've ever done. I mean, for cripe's sakes, I think I ended up saying, like, <laughs> Micah Hyde was a character concern or something. It's just the most ridiculous things that I think I could have ever written in my life. But regardless, that's right. what happens when you have 13 picks. That's a little insight into what media is like. Yeah. Uh, but looking at the on-field aspect of this, the Vikings defense just went through a massive overhaul, specifically on the defensive side of the ball. So to get yeah. Jeff Gladney at number 31, the, the cornerback out of TCU, uh, I mean, they, these are the type of moves they need to make. And certainly when you trade a guy of the talent of Stephon Diggs, I know there were a lot of Packer fans that were upset that they took Justin Jefferson. Listen, folks, the Vikings don't get Justin Jefferson if they don't subtract Stephon Diggs. That's just right. – arithmetic of the NFL exactly they, they essentially swapped the number one receivers they sent yeah. sent their guy to Buffalo and then they drafted a number one receiver with that pick that they got from Buffalo yeah and that's just the way the you know the cookie crumbles sometimes in this league and then you know yeah. Ezra Cleveland was a guy I was really high on I think Troy Dye is a good prospect for them in the fourth round uh once you got to the sixth round I don't 
Nate Stanley, I know, is from, uh, I believe, Menominee. Yes, Menominee, Wisconsin, yep. Got a chance to talk with him a little bit. I know his family is incredibly excited about that. But beyond that, I don't know anything about the rest of these guys. But the, the first two rounds specifically, I think there's a lot of talent there that's going to be able to help the Vikings. Yeah, I mean, it, it, was, pretty, it was pretty simple to – as much as we thought the Packers draft was somewhat unpredictable, it was pretty simple to figure out Minnesota's strategy here. You know, they drafted Justin Jefferson after they, you know, traded Stephon Diggs. They've always been, for the last several years, they've been trying to retool that offensive line. So they spend a high pick on, a, on an offensive tackle in Ezra Cleveland from Boise State. And then losing three of their top four cornerbacks in free agency, Trey Wayne, Xavier Rhodes, Mackenzie Alexander, all gone. So two of Minnesota's top four picks in this draft were cornerbacks. They got Gladney from TCU. They got Dantzler from Mississippi State. So Minnesota has some guys there that could potentially be stepping in to play right away as rookies. And moving on then, the Detroit Lions, the top of their draft is very similar in that respect because you look at, you look at taking Jeff Okuda um, at number three overall, the top cornerback, top defensive back in this draft out of Ohio State. Then they also get DeAndre Swift, the running back from Georgia, and Julian Aquara, an edge rusher from Notre Dame. He's now the guy that looks like they'll be pairing with Trey Flowers as far as the two guys they will have on opposite edges to get after the quarterback. Those are three guys for the Detroit Lions who could be stepping in right away to play on day one as well. Yeah, and Jonah Jackson, too, uh, the guard from Ohio State, another guy that could potentially be thrown in there. They've been want to play offensive linemen as rookies quite often here the last few years, so uh, that's another guy. Uh, Aquara, great story. Obviously, Romeo is already on the team. Uh, chance for brothers to reunite there. You love that. Obviously, we'll have to see how it plays out for them defensively. They have a lot of work to do. Both of um, those brothers, they went. They both went to Notre Dame too, right? They were correct. Both, they were both for the Fighting Irish. But Romeo was what a six-round pick. I don't. Yeah, think he, he was. He definitely yeah, wasn't he as was later. Right, he was yeah. later in the draft for sure. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, then I mean, going with the the cornerback from Ohio State, I saw a stat out there, Mike. Did you notice that too? I think they said he was the highest taken or highest drafted cornerback. Was that in like twenty-five years or something like that too? Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, I wasn't third overall. Um, yeah, that was Wait, that's, kind of that's going back to like the Deion Sanders age, maybe. And if you're talking 25 years ago, if we weren't unscripted, I would have done more research and looked yeah. that up, but yeah, we um, could have looked that one up, but that'll Sorry be something that, folks. I'm sure in the future here, as we write about him more and more, we'll, we'll have that. Uh, Deandre Swift was one of my favorites in this draft. He, he did not end up going, uh, as far as the first running back selected, uh, like I think some people thought, including myself, uh, but, but still, Listen, Mike, they've been doing this for years. It's been a carousel. They're trying to find somebody at that running back position that they can count on. It looked like at points, on Johnson was that individual. He got hurt, really wasn't able to get that momentum back last season. So DeAndre Swift, he's the next guy. I mean, you look at how many resources that the Lions have invested in the first and second round with their running backs over the last 15, 20 years. It has been extraordinary uh, in this path to, I mean, I guess in some regards, say still replace Barry Sanders. I don't know the last time that they've had a running back, you know, maybe, uh, yeah, I'm trying to think of the last time they've had a running back, just back to back, back, you know, consistent year after year, you know, this is the guy they've been yeah. battling that for a number of years. And they hope that, you know, maybe finally this carousel ends on the Georgia running back. 
Yeah, they keep trying to uh, they keep trying to find that feature back, and they keep trying different guys. Sometimes it's sometimes it's been injuries. Sometimes it's been more of that that flash in the pan type of thing that then it doesn't work out for the long term. So um, Detroit keeps uh, keeps trying to find that uh, a steady, consistent running game to put behind Matthew Stafford. I thought it was interesting because there was so much talk about the Lions possibly trading back from the number three overall spot that they were, they were going to try to, you know, get a King's ransom, so to speak for that pick when everybody knew Joe Burrow was going number one, Chase Young was going number two. So then you, you have your pick of everybody else, anybody else starting at number three, but it sounds like they just, they weren't going to give the number three pick away just to get some extra picks. It sounds like they just never really got an offer that was very interesting to them. Yeah, what probably hurt the Lions here is Tua in the hip injury. You think yeah. if he's healthy, there would have been a team that would have potentially moved up there. Heck, it might have even been the Dolphins for all we know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but the thing is, is with all those question marks and with not having the typical medical checks, there were some medical checks they were able to do, but not having your, your full resources, that's a big investment teams have to make to be able to move up that spot. So they stick with where they are. What an interesting day this is, though, with Akuda coming in now there and then gladly with the Vikings for so many years it was all about you know Xavier Rhodes and you know and, and Darius Slay. Slay yep yep and those were the guys every year Mike when the Packers would play the Lions and the Vikings and we do our little scouting reports we do our little previews on Unscripted we were always talking about them we were talking about the matchup with Jordy Nelson and Devontae Adams and occasionally Randall Cobb it's a new day and yeah. uh, seeing how both of those defenses the Lions coming from a, a place where they need to improve and the Vikings looking to maintain, that's going to be a big question mark for both of those squads going into 2020. Yeah, well, the team in the NFC North that had the least draft capital heading into, the, heading into this was the Chicago Bears. They were short on picks. They were still essentially paying for Khalil Mack because of the trade of the first round pick that was included in the Mack deal with Oakland. And then they were also uh, down a... Um, a pick, I believe, from the third round, third round. for the uh, for the David Montgomery pick from last year when they when they got him to add to their backfield. We know the big story in Chicago from now until whenever the season starts is what's going to happen at quarterback. They brought in Nick Foles. It's going to be Nick Foles against Mitchell Trubisky and all that. But boy, if there's one thing that head coach Matt Nagy is trying to figure out with his offense, it's he wants tight ends. He wants to build a lot of his offense there. They signed Jimmy Graham as a free, as a free agent after the Packers released him. And then their first draft pick in the second round, they use on Cole Komet, who is pretty much considered the top tight end in this draft out of Notre Dame. And I think I saw that the bears have something like nine or 10 tight ends on their roster right now. Yeah. So they're, they're trying to sort that out, but other than quarterback, their two biggest off season moves are trying to rebuild that tight end position. Yeah, and let's be honest here, Mike, about something. The way that the Chicago Bears have worked, you go back a couple years ago, when when Mitchell Trubisky, everybody was so high on him, and they thought the, the ceiling was there. They thought they saw the glimpses in 2018. A lot of it had to do with Trey Burton and the production that they got from the tight end position in the middle of the field. They did not have that outlet last year for one right. reason or another. Adam Shaheen has not really worked out for them the big tight end that they got from Ashland that they spent a second round draft pick on a few years ago. That's uncourt. He's been a bust to this point. Yeah. So you have the, the big injury there with Burton that took away a massive weapon. You don't know what his prognosis is going to be. They obviously released him. 
and we'll see where he falls. Now I think he's working through that hip injury, still uh, trying to get cleared from that. So they go and get Jimmy Graham. Fine first step, tight end, whatever Packer fans think. There aren't a whole lot of them out there in terms of dynamic playmakers at that position. Cole Komet, as you said, unanimously the top tight end of this draft. If we need any further evidence of that, look at how far Adam Troutman ended up falling. This is the guy. Komet was the guy. Great size for the position, six foot six, 260 pounds, a two-sport college athlete. And from all intents and purposes, while there is a transition to be had there for tight ends moving into the National Football League, his transition should be relatively seamless. It appear, I mean, he has an NFL build to begin with. He's a solid pass catcher. He can make plays on 50-50 balls. And he's a good enough in terms of the, the blocking that I think they're going to have something to work with there in terms of fundamentals. But this is it, Mike. This is the year that I think the – like the Bears, if they're going to do anything, if they're going to be the team that everybody thought they were going to be a year ago, they need to prove it this season. Yes, they'll be getting some more draft capital coming up here in the next few seasons. Right. But let's be honest, Mike, what happened last year shouldn't have happened. They were expected to be a powerhouse, not only in the NFC North, but in the entire conference, and it didn't happen. There's questions at cornerback. There's questions at receiver. There's questions at tight end. And obviously the Mitchell Trubisky question, so many things that they have to answer between now and the beginning of the regular season. Yeah. And they seem to be also, uh, you know, searching the availability right now to add some speed onto the field. And with it just within the last few days, they've signed Trevor Davis, the former wide receiver for the Packers, and they've signed the, the veteran Ted Ginn Jr. So, you know, they no longer have Taylor Gabriel. They let him go. So, you know, they're, they're, they're trying, they're trying to piece it together and, and get, Matt Nagy, the, the offense, the style, the types of players that he wants, but they still haven't quite figured it out at quarterback yet. This whole, this whole Foles-Trubisky thing is going to be the story of the offseason in Chicago. I don't know what it's going to look like. I really don't. I don't know what their offense is going to look like. I don't know what their season's going to look like. You could ask me every year, you know, how do I think the division's going to play out? Not that I'm some kind of soothsayer, far from it. <laughs> But usually you have a relative idea of how these things are going to play out, what the division is going to look like in December. I, the Bears could be anywhere, honestly. I'm, I'm not sure. Because, you know, the Vic Vangio defense, it still was pretty darn good under Chuck Pagano last year. But, you know, you subtracted Prince of Mukamara. There's, there's so many things that are going to change there. Haha, Clinton Dix moved on again. So we'll right. see. That- and that was, I was going to say too, just like the Packers, other NFC North foes, the bears took a top pick at cornerback because they had an additional second round pick. They took Jalen Johnson, the cornerback out of Utah. As you said, Prince of Mukamara is gone. So they needed a replacement there. The defensive backfields across the NFC North West going to look really, really different in 2020 compared to even just last year or the year before. As you said a couple of minutes ago, it's a new day in that regard in this division for the Packers and what Aaron Rodgers is going to be looking at across the line of scrimmage. Yeah, and if you wanted to know what people still think of Aaron Rodgers, the amount of assets and capital that has been put into the cornerback position by the other three NFC North teams, it's, uh, it's still a big big, big emphasis. Yeah, no doubt about it. Well, with that, we'll call it a wrap on this edition of Packers Unscripted. Be sure to follow all of our coverage of the team and all of these draft pick follow-up stories I was talking about. Those will be on Packers.com in the coming days and weeks. Enjoy your weekend, everybody. For Wes, I'm Mike. Take care, and we will see you next time.